you have a living Savior and Lord, He requires things of you, right? And there's lots of people that are packed in churches, but you know what? The benefits of, of serving a living Lord, amen, one who's alive in your mind, one who's alive in your heart, who you realize He's alive, is that you understand that when you belong to Him, amen, God takes care of His stuff. Amen? Doesn't the Word teach it? We're to be good stewards. And a steward means a manager of your resources, the things that you have. God, if, if He is a living Lord, if Jesus is a living Lord, that means He's going to take care of us, right? Amen? We don't have to worry. What did Jesus say? We don't got to give any thought about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, where we're going to sleep, what we're going to wear. Why? Because if He's your Lord, He owns you and He's obligated to take care of you. Amen? As you're seeking first, as we seek first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness. Amen. We want to welcome everyone out to Anchor Faith Church of Valdosta. Amen. This Resurrection Sunday. Amen. This is the day we, this is the day that it, this should take precedence over Christmas for us. This ought to excite us more than Christmas because you understand that if Jesus had just came as a baby in the manger and that was as far as it was, He lived the life of a normal man and then He just died. Well, that wouldn't be much, it wouldn't do, be any benefit to us at all, but praise God, He came. His purpose, amen, was to go to the cross, to shed His blood, to redeem mankind, and to buy us back from our fallen condition and place us back in the original condition that God had intended when He created earth. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Let's get into the Word this morning. Amen? Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank You for this day. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to be in Your house. And Father, we thank You, Lord, that Jesus rose from the grave. Father, just as He said, Lord, just as You planned from the, uh, the foundation of the earth that Jesus would be the Lamb that was slain, Lord, that He would shed His blood, that He would redeem mankind. And so, Lord, we celebrate that. And Father, we thank You for the people this morning. Father, we thank You for the hearts of the people. Lord, first of all, that their spirits are teachable. Father, we just come against the attitude of, well, I know that, I've heard that. Lord, we just uh, confess, and our confession is over myself, over this congregation, that we are a congregation, we are a body of, of teachable people, Father, that we receive Your Word with meekness, Father, and it, and it saves our souls, it changes our mind, Father. And Lord, we thank You for the hearts of the people, that their hearts are good ground, that receives the seed of the Word, and it brings forth fruit, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundredfold. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you came expecting this morning? Amen. Amen. We know some people came expecting, praise God. You understand that when you come to church, you ought to come with an expectation. You ought to come expecting. This is the thing. If you don't come to church expecting, what do you even go to church for? Say, oh, pastor, let's talk about Easter. Let's talk about... I am. You understand this? When you come to church, you ought to have an expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to speak because you understand this. People who come to church with no expectation are just religious. Say, oh, Pastor, you sound like you mean. I'm not being mean. You understand? Do uh, you understand that Pastor is pleading that we need, when we come, we need to have an expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to speak, that there's something in our lives that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us. He knows our hearts. He knows what we're going through. He knows the thing. You understand this? The Holy Spirit, He knows stuff you're going to go through a month from now that you don't have a clue. And we should come with an expectation that the, that the, the helper, the comforter, the paraclete, the one that comes alongside to bear up the load, the one who's your rear guard, amen? He is the most important person on the earth. The Holy Spirit. He, not it. He is a divine personality. And so when you come to church... Even if it's just an Easter service, you ought to have an expectation. 
And, and, if you, and this is the thing, if you don't have an expectation, then you place no demand on the gift that God's placed in me. Amen. And God's placed a gift in me, the gift of pastor. I didn't choose to be that, but it's a gift that God's placed in me. And if there's no demand placed on that gift, well, then you're not going to get the full benefit of it. You know, it's like you can have a computer that has you know, the fastest memory, the largest uh, storage capacity. You, know, you can have you know, a terabyte of storage and you know, 15 gigs of memory or whatever. You know, they don't even make them that big, I don't guess, except probably for military. But you can have, and you understand this, if all you know how to do is play solitaire, <laughs> you're never going to be able to make use of the full potential of that computer, are you? Why? Because you don't never place a demand on it for the other programs that it does. All you, all we're doing is solitaire. So play, come to church with an expectation. Amen? You get all you can get by yourself through the week, don't you? I hope. So when we come together as a group, when we come together corporately as a body of believers, there needs to be an expectation. There needs to be a drawing on the gift so that, when, so that this is not just vain and empty time for you. You can listen to a podcast at home if that's all you want. But you understand, when we come together, there's a supply of the Spirit that we all bring, or that we all should be bringing. Ideally, we're all bringing a supply of the Spirit. And when you bring an expectation and a demand is placed on a ministry gift, then the Holy Spirit that's in that gift can manifest and can flow, and the Holy Spirit can minister to you, and He can minister to you in one word, what you, something that you've been wrestling with a lifetime. Amen? We are talking about resurrection. Glory to God. We are talking about the power of God. Amen? You understand this? This morning, (coughs) excuse me, you understand that Jesus came preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven. The the cross, the crucifixion, the death, burial, resurrection of God, I say this, it was God's crowning achievement in the plan of redemption. By that I mean that He's putting the crown back on the head of mankind, that remember, you got to go back. If we do not understand the original intent, and I know you're hearing this a lot, I know a lot of people say, oh, here we go, original intent again. You need to understand this. Our whole thinking of the Word of God, our, your whole understanding of the resurrection is not going to be accurate if we don't understand it in the context of what God's plan was. And God's plan was, we, you go back to the book of beginnings, in Genesis God created man and put him in the garden. Man, and you understand, man was male and female. When the Bible says man, it means mankind. And you understand that there's no, there's no sexual identity to your spirit. Your earth suit has a sexual identity. And that, assi- and that assignment and that identity that God gives it, that dictates who God plans, you know, what other sex God intends for you to marry and, and, and to be joined with. But you understand, when we're talking about mankind, it's the spirit of man. And what did Jesus say? You know, Jesus said, you know, when the Pharisees asked him, you know, about the man whose uh, the man died and his wife and his brother took the next uh, uh, the next brother took her and then he died and the next brother said, whose wife will she be in eternity? And Jesus said, you do err. He said, don't you know? He said that you'll be like the angels. In other words, there's no sexual identity in eternity. But you understand, God created mankind, placed him in the garden, said, we're giving mankind dominion or rulership, authority over all the works of His hands. Man was to have dominion and rule on the earth. And you know the story that, that, that Adam and Eve, they sinned. They disobeyed the word of the king. Basically, sin is just disobeying the word of the king. The king said, don't eat the fruit. Some people will go, what kind of fruit is it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's a banana tree or an apple tree or whatever it was. 
It does, that does not matter. You, you know, it was literally the tree of the knowledge of, the good, uh, of good and evil. But you understand this, the simple fact that God said don't do it, and they did it, it was an act of rebellion. They rebelled against the word of the king. Amen. They believed the devil. They believed the serpent. And, and man advocated, advocated his authority and his dominion that God gave him. Why? Because Romans says, whoever you yield yourself to serve, that's who you make your master. Isn't that what the Word says? And so, looking at it in the context, remember, we've got to keep big picture context so, uh, of the plan of redemption so that when we look at these individual things that God, that we're looking at in the Bible, you got to, you know, this is the thing, if you keep an eye on the forest, it helps you have a different perspective on the trees when you look at them. And so, we're, this morning we're talking about the tree that we're looking at is the resurrection of Jesus. And understanding it in the big picture view of what God has done and His plan was man turned his dominion, his authority over to Satan because whom you yield yourselves to obey is who your master is. And so man took the authority that God gave him and he submitted himself to the devil instead of submitting himself to God and turned that authority over to the devil. And so God's the entire plan of redemption, understand this, is to get it back to the original intent. It is not to get you to heaven for eternity. Heaven is a temporary stop for believers. God's original plan, and you can read it. Find it in the Bible. And this cuts crossways to a lot of people's traditional Christianity thing. But the word says, the new heaven and the new earth, where is it coming down from? John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and I saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. Peter said, there will be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So the big picture is God. what God is doing through and the whole Bible. You understand from Genesis 3, there's the fall. And from Genesis 3 through Revelations 21, 21, 22, through the end of the book, the entire thing is God's big picture plan is we're going to get it back the way it was in Genesis 1 and 2. Okay? And so we need to look at the resurrection from that perspective. Amen? You need to understand there was a necessary payment for sin uh, to legally regain man's lost authority. God knew that. You understand that some people go, oh, God can do just whatever He wants to. No, God can't. God has to abide by His Word. If He doesn't, He's a liar. When God says this is the way something's going to be, He's bound by His Word. Are there illustrations of that in the Bible? Yes, there are. Remember when the king, when the king made the declaration, Daniel, you know, king, uh, the king Dar- was it King Darius? He was a friend of Daniel. And he, made the, and he made the decree, no one's going to pray to any other God except me for the next 30 days. And Daniel was his friend. You understand, when you read the little story in, 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 in Kitty Church, in Sunday school, that the king was, was not angry at Daniel and didn't hate Daniel and want to throw him in there hoping that the lions ate him. Because you read the rest of the story, when he came back, he said, Daniel, did your God deliver you? And he said, yes, king. He said, I'm all right. He brought him out and said, good, let's chuck the rest of these guys in there. But what, what was the precedent? The precedent was the word of the king's unchangeable. So let me ask you this. If the word of an earthly king, he couldn't go back on his own word. Here, here's another example. Remember when uh, Herod's stepdaughter danced before him? Ooh, you know, shaking that little moneymaker in front of the king. And said, he said, Woo, man, baby, you hot. I'll give you anything you want up to half of my kingdom. Okay, and she said, give me John the Baptist's head on, on a silver platter. Give it to me on a charger, right? Did he want to do that? No, why? He said, but because of his oath, because of his word, and because he had spoken it in front of people, he was bound by his oath. 
So let me ask them, if an earthly king is bound by his word and it can't change, then the heavenly king, the king of the universe, he's bound by his word. God is bound by his word before me. So you understand that God couldn't just come down and pretend like sin never happened and just set stuff back up. He had to do it legally. And what we mean by legally is he had to do it in accordance with the words that he had already spoken and declared. The, the laws, the spiritual laws that he had already established. So Jesus had to come. He had to, and he had to die on the cross. Someone had to come, shed the blood, and redeem mankind. And by redeem, we mean restore, bring back to that original position. Amen? And so, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read, amen? We're going to read Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, and then 16 through 20. This is Matthew's account of the, the Resurrection Sunday. It says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook with fear um, of, de- of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He, sa- he is not here, for he is risen. And he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee, and you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Verse 9, And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren uh, to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Amen. Now verse 16. Skipping over to verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is what's traditionally called, this last portion, what's called the Great Commission. But what I want you to notice here, Jesus died, He rose from the grave. We know that He rose from, He was dead, they placed Him in a tomb. They go back the third day, Jesus is rose. Then He says, go tell my disciples to meet me. And then Jesus, he, goes, he tells His disciples, He says, All authority has been given to Me. All authority. What are we talking about? God's plan. What was God's intention to, to bring man back, bring back to man? What was the big picture? You understand? Authority and dominion. Authority, rulership. It's the same thing. And you go back in what is the Bible was over there in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus is tempted of Satan. And Jesus goes out into the wilderness and Satan begins to tempt him. The enemy begins to tempt him with all these things. And he says, he gets to the final thing and it says, the Bible says that Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. All the, and you understand kingdoms, kingdoms are governments. All the governments, all the kingdoms of the world in a flash of time. And Satan said, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give it to you. He said, because this authority has been delivered to me. Isn't that what the Word says? Satan is... And some people go, well, you know, Satan couldn't have done that. Satan couldn't have really given Jesus the kingdoms of the world. 
Okay, if he couldn't, was it really a temptation? If Satan couldn't fall, if somebody couldn't follow through on a promise to do something for you to try to persuade you to do sin, would it really be a temptation? If somebody, if I said, Brother Van, I'll give you a million dollars if you go over and you shoot somebody for me. And you know, I know Pastor Brian ain't got no million dollars. I don't even like the person he's talking about, but I ain't got no interest in going and shooting him because he can't deliver on that promise, so there's no temptation, right? Okay? So if Satan couldn't deliver on the, on the, on the temptation, Okay? Let's just put it this way. If a woman if a woman's flirting with a man trying to entice him into infidelity, if she can't deliver on it, it ain't no temptation to him, right? But you know, unfortunately it can be delivered on a lot, right? So there becomes a temptation. When there's the ability to deliver the the offered item, it becomes a temptation. And so here we see well how if so if Satan really had the authority, when did he get it? Back in the garden, when Adam, when he said, "Oh, God didn't say that you did." God said, "You shall surely not die." And Adam, he he yielded to the voice of the serpent, to Satan, and he turned that authority. He delivered that authority to the Satan right there in the garden. Isn't that what the Bible says? I mean, we know the devil's a liar, but he said the authority was delivered to him to give the kingdom there. And so Adam turned that authority over to him in the garden when he submitted to him. Well, where did Jesus get this authority? Here we see Jesus, the resurrected Lord. He says, all authority has been given unto me. How did He get it? Well, do you remember the story when Jesus said, no man goes into a strong man's house. (laughs) Amen. Nobody goes into a strong man's house and plunders and spoils his house except he first binds the strong man and then he can plunder his goods. Amen. You realize that when Jesus was in the grave, what was going on was that Jesus entered the house of the strong man and bound him. And once he bound Satan and he broke Satan's authority and he took back the authority that Satan illegitimately took from man, because you understand that Jesus was the Son of Man for 33 years. Amen. Eternity passed. He was the Word. But Jesus, for this purpose, the Son of God came into the world that He might destroy, undo, and completely demolish the works of the devil. Well, where were the works of the devil gaining power from? Where did the devil get it? Because He was given the authority on the earth. And Jesus went and He bound the strong man and He took the authority back and then He turns right around and He says, All authority has been given to Me. You go. What's Jesus doing? He's de- How many you understand delegation of authority? Amen? Jesus is saying, I came, I was the Word of God, I manifested myself on the earth as the Son of Man so that I could legally enter into the earth so that I could go and I could bind the strong man who had taken the authority and the dominion that God gave to man originally and as the Son of Man, I went and I stomped a mud hole in the devil and walked it dry and I'm coming back and telling you I've got the authority, now you go in my authority, I'm turning the authority over to you. Amen? That you can walk in authority. And so it's getting it back to the dominion, the authority that man had in the garden. You understand? And you understand, it's a process. You understand? It is an ever-increasing process. Okay? We're not teaching a doctrine there that the whole kingdom of God is established right now on the earth. See, you've got, to, you've got to know, you cannot be ignorant of the Old Testament Scriptures and even begin to comprehend and wrap your mind around the New Testament. You hear these church, oh, we're a New Testament church. We don't ever look in that Old Testament. You ain't never going to understand the New if you don't look in the Old. 
Because you understand, Daniel, when, Dan, when King Nebuchadnezzar had the vision of, a, of the great idol, remember the golden head and the arms that you've heard me say this before? He said, you know, he said that he saw this image and it represented the kingdoms of the earth, the governments of the earth. And that he beheld in the mountain, he saw a stone that was cut out without hands that came down and smote the image on the feet and destroyed the image. Now, who was the stone? Huh? That was the church I grew up in. There's an old song they used to sing, old spiritual song they used to sing. They say, you know, I'm searching for a stone that was hewed out of the mountain, Lord, tearing down the kingdoms of this world. And it got to the end. It said, King Jesus is the stone that was hewed out of the mountain, Lord, tearing down the kingdoms of this world. So you understand that the stone, huh, the stone that the builders rejected, the stone that was cut out without hands, smote that image. And you understand this, all the kingdoms of the world, let's get it big picture, Satan was tempting Jesus with the kingdoms of the world. So behind the scene, who's the puppet master pulling the strings for all the kingdoms of the world? The devil, right? And so here comes King Jesus, the stone, cut out of the mountain, smiting the image on the feet, completely destroying the kingdoms of the world. And it says that that stone grew and became a great mountain. It grew and grew and grew and became a great mountain that filled the entire earth. So you understand, this is a progression we're heading someplace with this. The full kingdom of God is not established on the earth yet. Amen. But it, the stone, the mountain is growing, the stone is growing into a mountain that's growing and growing and growing and filling the whole earth. And why? And it hinges upon Jesus getting back the authority. Jesus taking the authority from Satan. How could he do that? He had to hang on the cross. He had to shed his blood. Amen. And then when he did that, he was able to legally go in, bind the strong man, take the authority. He's got himself. Now he says to the church, he says to the ecclesia, he, call, he says to the called out. And you understand church wasn't a religious word. Church, church, it came from a word that meant a legislative body. Ones who pass rules and legislation and laws. That's what the ecclesia was. It was, a, it was a government legal term. And so you understand, does this sound familiar? Jesus said, whatever you bind in heaven will be bound on earth. Let's put it this way. Whatever you forbid in heaven will be forbidden on earth. Whatever you loose or permit in heaven will be permitted on the earth. Who's going to do that? The church, the ecclesia, the legislative body of God's kingdom on the earth. So if it's going to be done on the earth, amen, it's got to be done through the church, right? It has to be done. You realize God, everything that God did, that God's done on the earth, God's done it through man. Some people, oh, I don't believe that. Then why did Jesus have to come and be the Son of Man? Because everything that God does on the earth, because the earth was created, the heavens, the highest heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He has created for man, and for God to do something on the earth, He has to have a man or a woman. You understand when I say man, I mean mankind. He has to have a human spirit. Someone that's got an earth suit, has legal right to operate on the earth, that's going to cooperate with Him and submit to Him and say, God, I'm going to do Your will. God, Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven because I'm going to yield to You. You're my King. You're the authority. In my life. And so you understand that Jesus did this. But this morning, we're going to, I'm going to mention, I want to point out to you that we celebrate Easter. We, you know, it's called Easter. I, I told someone this week that, that I actually got a revelation. I never knew that the word Easter was ever even in the Bible. I mean, I've read, I've read the Bible through several times, but I just kind of skipped over it, I guess. Kind of just, you know, you, you do that too, don't you? You read stuff and completely miss it. 
But it's actually over in the book of Acts, it's, it, it, the word Easter's in there one time, which is really weird because it's the word that all the rest of the New Testament, it's translated Passover. One place in the Bible, it's the same, in the King James Version, in, in the, it's the same word that's translated Passover all the rest of the time in the New Testament, and it got translated Easter. Okay? But you understand, we're celebrating this, and we think, and, and I want to, and this is the thing, you understand, you need to come, and, and you need, like I said, to have a teachable spirit, and that you're always expecting to, to learn more, that the Holy Spirit's going to speak something to you. Amen? You need to understand, we celebrate this, we look at this so much as, oh, this is the day that we celebrate when Jesus rose from the grave, and it is, but you need to broaden your mind. You need to think a little bit more, because I'm going to talk to you this morning about the day that you got up. I'm going to talk to you about today. You need to realize that we're not just celebrating, oh, the man Jesus got up from the grave. No, no, no. We're celebrating something so much more than just one man raising from the grave. Amen. Not diminishing the significance of that at all. But we need to realize there was something a whole lot more going on than one man being rose from the grave. One man raising from the dead. Amen. It, you, know, you understand this? I'm going to give this to you real quick. This is just rolling. You understand the concept that sin, the Bible over in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 20, if you want to write that down and study that later, it talks about how sin entered the world, that death entered the world through sin, and that sin entered, you know, that sin entered the world through disobedience of one man. Does that sound familiar? Have you heard that taught before? Do we believe that? Does Scripture bear that out? That death entered the world through sin. The vehicle by which death had to get into the world was sin. And that was brought into the world by one man. And the Bible says over in Romans, it says that by one man's uh, transgression, the sin entered the world and death passed to all men because all have sinned. Right? And so the curse of sin, sickness, disease, poverty, lack, want, spiritual separation from the Father... All of that, it is, you know, one man, open door. Come on in, devil. There it is. And all of us inherited that through one man. Right? Okay? Well, then we need to realize, you go on and you read that, it says that life entered the world through Jesus. Life entered the world through Jesus. And, it said, and, the, and that, this passage of Scripture, it teaches that life spreads to all, everybody who receives Jesus. Okay? I want, I want to tell you something real quick. We're looking at some of the resurrections in the Bible. Okay? I was studying and I was looking back and I was trying to find all the examples of people being raised from the dead in the Bible to just read to you. And I'm not going to like have you turn to every scripture, but if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, you can study, you go back and you can look at this later. Amen? But you understand this? that You look in the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 24, Elijah raised the widow of Zarephath's son. Remember the little widow woman that he went to and he said, Hey, Mama, make me, some, make me a cake. Fix me a little something to eat. And she said, Oh, I just got a little bit of meal, a little bit of oil. I was just going to gather some sticks and I was going to cook it and going to eat it. And me and my son going to die. And he said, No, 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 make me some. Make me some first. And then you remember the story? God provided for her that the little, uh, the little jar of meal and the cruise of oil didn't run out till the famine was over. Well, her son died, remember? Her, you remember the story? Her son died and Elijah went back and he raised her son from the dead. Okay? You look over in 2 Kings, chapter 4, verse 32. Elisha, Elisha, Elijah's servant. Elisha and the woman of Shunem's son. Remember the Shunammite woman? That when Elijah, Elisha and Gehazi, his servant, they would come by when they would be making trips back and forth. 
And, and she told her husband, the, woman, the Shunammite woman told her husband, said, this is a man of God. Let's build, him, let's build him a little room on our house and let's put a bed and let's put a table and let's put a chair in it so that when he comes this way, that we can offer him rest. And she honored the man of God. Boy, that, you, could, you could preach on that, couldn't you? You could preach on the, the, the Why? Because there's a blessing. It's not just so the man of God gets his little ego stroked and it's not cause the man, so the man of God gets himself enriched off of people just give me, give me, give me. But because there's a blessing, amen, we could teach that sometimes. But you remember that woman, she went out of her way to make a special provision for the man of God because she recognized and she esteemed the gift that was upon him and the anointing that was upon him. She made provision and then her son died. How many of you all know that's a need? And, that's a need. and you understand this, she gave of her finances to make a provision for the man of God so that and and then a need came up that her finances wouldn't have done any good for her. Okay, Amen. Selah, Selah. Pause and think on that. And so when her son died, Elisha came and he spread. Remember, he's the, the story. He spread out on the dead boy's body, his his eyes over his eyes, his nose over his mouth over his mouth, hands on his hands, and brought the boy back to life. Amen. That was a that's a wonderful story. Amen. Second Kings. Thirteen twenty. I always loved this one. Elisha, he was he was so full of the power and the anointing of God. Even when he's dead, he wasn't done. You remember this story? They placed a, the, there was a battle going on. A soldier was killed, and there were raiders coming in. And they said, "Quick, we got to bury him quick." So they just rolled the stone back, and Elisha's body was buried in the tomb. And they chucked his corpse in the body, and before they could roll the hole back, the rock back over the hole, the guy came back to life and run out of the tomb. Woo! Hallelujah! Glory to God. That's a tremendous story. Can we agree that's an impressive miracle? When your bones start raising people from the dead. Amen? In the New Testament. In the New Testament. Okay? You understand this. is in Mark. It's recorded in Mark chapter 5, verse 41, and Luke 8, 54. Jesus brings uh, Jairus' daughter back to life. Remember? It's the story of Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. It's the story when the woman with the issue of blood comes up behind Jesus and touches him, and she, and she takes a healing. Glory to God. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't even offer it to her. She just snuck up behind him and said, I'm going to get my healing. Grabbed the hem of that garment and took it. Amen? And he's on his way to Jairus' house. And so Jesus, he raised Jairus' daughter. Okay? Okay, you look on over in the Bible, Luke chapter 7. How many remember the story of the widow of Nain? That she's going to bury her only son. And there's a funeral procession going on and she's weeping and she's mourning because it's her only son. And she's a widow, okay? And she's heartbroken. And Jesus walks up to the funeral procession and the casket's open and Jesus lays hands on it and boom, he's alive. Pretty impressive miracle, huh? I'd say that's pretty good, amen? Okay, and of course we all know this one. John chapter 11. Lazarus. When Lazarus was raised from the dead. We all know the story. You know, Jesus went there. They're like, yo, Jesus, if you'd have hurried up, man, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus is like, he'll, you know, He'll raise, you know, he said, Jesus said, he'll live in the resurrection. Oh, Lord said, you know, I know my brother. You know, Jesus said, he'll live again. Oh, Lord, we know that he'll live again in the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Mm-hmm. See, Jesus didn't have any inferiority uh, complex, did he? He knew who he was. I am the resurrection. What are you talking about? He will raise. I, I'm, I'm the resurrection right here in front of you. Okay? And so, can we say those are pretty impressive miracles? Right? I mean, you look in the Old Testament, people being raised from the dead. Jesus raised three people from the dead. But there's something different, amen, about the resurrection of Jesus. It was not just another run-of-the-mill, amen, can you say that? Another run-of-the-mill resurrection, right? Amen. Let's turn to Ephesians. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, amen. We're going to take a look at this. Ephesians chapter 1. 
And you know, Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15, running through verse uh, 23, most of us, we've probably read it, hopefully, maybe you've heard this taught as, you know, one of the Spirit and Holy Spirit-inspired prayers that Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers. And it's an awesome prayer to pray for yourself. And I, with great regularity, I'll get, I'll open up my Bible, I'll pray, I'll pray this, and where it says, where Paul's saying you to you, and he's writing to the Ephesians, I put my name in. I'll, I'll say Anchor Faith Church of Valdosta and pray this prayer for the church. Amen. But you, let's let's just take a look at this. I'm going to start at verse 15. We'll just go ahead and read through the prayer to, to where we want to get. It says, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and the riches of His glory of the inheritance of the saints. When you read the word inheritance in the Bible, do not interpret it as something that you, that you get when you die. When you read it, that's because that's the way most people in the church interpret it. Oh, when I die, I'm going to, I'm going to get this. When I'm going to, let me ask you something. This will help your thinking. We've got some stupid thinking that we've got addressed in the church, right? What kind of inheritance do you get when you die on the earth? Squat. You ain't getting no inheritance when you die. You're leaving one, maybe. The Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, right? When you die, and how come we can realize that in the world? When I die, I don't get an inheritance. But when the Bible talks about inheritance, because we've been taught traditionally, that means when you die and you get to go to heaven. No, no, no. Jesus died and left us an inheritance. So it's not talking about in the sweet by and by. Amen? The person that's, that's been leaving you your inheritance, he already died. Oh, yeah, and by the way, he got back up. Right? Okay? It says that you may know what, are, uh, know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Verse 19, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places. And we want to take a look at this verse. You, look at, you notice there in verse 19, it says, Paul is praying that we get a revelation of what... Uh, he, this is what he's praying, that we'll begin to get a revelation of these things. In other words, that you'll get a hold of it, you'll begin to grasp it, you'll begin to understand, you're getting a revelation of these things. And you understand this? He says, he wants us to get a revelation of the exceeding greatness of His power that He that was toward us according to the working of His mighty power when He raised Christ from the dead. Okay, understand this. Verse 19, that word exceeding. He's talking about us getting a revelation of, his, of God's exceeding power. The exceeding greatness. Okay? You understand, there's two adjectives back to back, really. Exceeding and greatness. Okay, greatness might be a noun, but great is an adjective, right? So he said, exceeding. That word exceeding, it means to throw beyond the usual mark. Supereminent. You understand? He's not talking about... You, okay, try to understand this. He is talking about God. Okay? If I go to the gym and I can bench press 275 pounds for six repetitions, okay, that's, you know, that's what I normally can do. If I got a spotter, okay, get someone to watch me, I'm going to go in there and push that much weight and kill myself. 
But if I've got a spotter to work with me, I can go in, I take 275 pounds, and I can push, press it six times. Okay? You understand this? But if I go in one day and I'm feeling really froggy and I ate, good, you know, I ate a good balanced meal the day before and I took my vitamins that morning and I had a little protein shake or something and I go to the gym and I, and I say, hmm, you know, I'm feeling pretty good today. Let's slap, you know, slap three plates on each side there. Let's take 315 see what I can do with it today. And I take 315 and I press 315 where 275 was the most I could do for six reps. I take 315 and I do it 10 reps. That's exceedingly... That's way beyond the mark. So now, put it in this context, what God does normally. Does God, when God's just doing His normal thing, is God doing some stuff. When God created the heavens, when God spoke the earth into existence, when He created man out of the dust, when He breathed man, God's just doing His thing. He's just being God. But this is an example in Scripture where He's talking about His exceeding the exceeding greatness of His power. In other words, it's even far beyond what God normally does. Amen? And so you understand, when we're just talking about me bench pressing, that's nothing. That's, a, you know, that's nothing. It's insignificant. But so when we're talking about exceeding greatness of someone who created the universe, spoke it into existence, we're talking something pretty significant, Right? You're talking something special. So God, He is that Paul is praying in this prayer that the church get a revelation of the exceeding, the, to be thrown beyond the usual mark, the supereminent, and the next word is greatness. Verse 19, we're talking about the exceeding greatness. Let's read it. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He worked when He raised Christ from the dead? Okay? So the next word I want us to take a look at is greatness. Paul is praying that the church gets a revelation of the exceeding greatness. Well, what does greatness mean? That word literally means the magnitude or size, the extent or the dimensions. So you understand if you say someone, if you, if you tell somebody something, you know, that has far-reaching effects. Okay? Say, you know, Say, say you, that you're in a business that, well, let's just say it's agriculture, okay? Say Van is, is in the business of cotton. And say that all of a sudden, genetic engineers, they come up with a, 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 a strain, a, a, a type of cotton that will grow in environments that it... Okay, let's say this. We all know cotton has a long growing time, right? Well, you plant it in the spring and sometime around November, December, sometimes you're still getting it in. Okay, what? And so that length, that length of growing season, that restricts the places on the earth that it can be grown, right? You can't go in West Virginia and grow cotton because you don't have long enough growing season, okay? But what if agricultural scientific you know, genetic engineers, they came out with, a, with a, a type of cotton that they could plant it and from the time you put it in the ground till you harvested it, it was 90 days. Now, if they came out with that, a layman that doesn't understand all the complexities of the cotton industry, even to an international level like Brother Van does, the rest of us might go, Ooh, that, that okay, so they can grow cotton, cotton in three months. But Van, where that's his industry, Van begins to go, hmm, there's some magnitude about that. What's that going to do to the, affect the economy of this region that has pro, historically has prospered on the cotton industry because 
its restrictions are cotton only grows in this type of climate with this length of a growing season. See, you and I, a normal layman that doesn't understand the complexities of all that, how that's going to affect, because let's be honest, what would that do? That would probably shoot the price of cotton down to where it wouldn't hardly be valuable enough for anyone to make a living doing it. If, you could, if all of a sudden you could start growing cotton as far north as, as uh, southern Ohio in the country, then that's going to affect the market, and it's going to ripple around the world, isn't it? It's, going to, it's not just going to affect the places they're growing it. And I said, just stay with me. Some of you all say, Pastor, I thought you were talking about Jesus. Why are we talking about cotton? Because I'm, I'm going someplace with this. So what I'm saying is, is that the normal layman, you and I, the, the people that don't have anything to, to do with the cotton business, if we saw that on the news, we'd be like, big deal. They made cotton that can grow in three months. Whoop-de-doo. But Van could watch that or anyone else who's been in the cotton industry and they could go, whoa, the magnitude, the magnitude, the size, the dimensions of this one thing is enormous because it can affect the economies of entire regions and, and entire countries and states. Why? Because Van's got a revelation that the rest of us probably don't uh, about what that would do. How that, the, the magnitude and the reach and the, and the expanse of what that's going to affect, okay? This is what Paul is praying for the church, that we would have a revelation of the exceeding greatness, greatness being magnitude, size, extent, or dimensions. Paul is praying that the church will get a revelation, that we will begin to grasp what was the exceeding, beyond, you know, thrown beyond the norm, super eminent magnitude of what God did for us? Amen. And when you understand, so let's read it that way: that we will understand what is the exceeding greatness, what is the the thrown beyond the usual mark, the super eminent magnitude of what. Uh, God, what His power toward us who believe according to the working mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him in His right hand in heavenly places. Amen? Let's skip over to verse 2. I mean, chapter 2. Going over to Ephesians chapter 2. It says, And you He made alive when you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom you all once conducted yourselves in the lust of your flesh, according to, uh, to, to fulfill the desires of the flesh and the mind that were by nature the children of wrath just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is what Paul's praying. You need to rest. I'm talking about the day that you got up. I'm talking about on that first resurrection Sunday that when Jesus got out of the grave, that in the mind of God, it was not just one man. Because remember, we talked about those other resurrections. We talked about those other people who were raised from the dead. And really, you understand this, that it wasn't even the same type. We're not even talking the same type of resurrection. They got brought back to life, kicked around a few more years, and then kicked a bucket again. Jesus, when He rose from the grave, He rose never to die again. Amen? And you need to understand this, that in the mind of God, just like, going back to Romans chapter 5, just like that sin entered the world through one man, you know, that, sin, that death entered the world through sin by one man, and so that when Adam sinned, really, sin and, and death was pronounced upon the entire human race. You need to realize something. Now, I'm going to, paraphr- I'm, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give this uh, 
disclaimer. I'm not talking about... Uh, there's, a, there's a doctrine out there that's called um, you know, inclusion theology. That everybody, since Jesus died for everybody and He paid everybody's sin debt, that whether people accept Jesus Christ as Savior or not, they're going to heaven. I'm not talking about that. But what I am talking about is, is Paul's talking about, okay, we had all these other examples in the Bible of people being raised from the dead. Okay? You know, the, the widow of Zarephath, the, you know, the, the, the woman of, the, uh, the, the woman that Elisha raised her all these other things. Okay? And these people, they were raised from the dead. And you know what? Nope, it doesn't talk about anything. They're not mentioned as exceeding greatness. They're not described as being exceedingly great. Why? Because it was one person raised from the dead. The reason Paul's wanting the church to get a revelation of the exceeding greatness that God showed toward us, the power He showed toward us when Christ raised from the dead is because that first, that first resurrection Sunday morning, when Jesus rose from the grave, in the mind of God, all of humanity was resurrected from their death of their sin. Just as when Adam sinned and death came in and all mankind died before God, when Jesus got up from the grave. And that's why when it's talking about when God raised Jesus from the grave, the reason that the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul said it's the exceeding greatness is because it wasn't just one man getting up from the grave to lay down again. That in the mind of God, God said, I've, this is the plan I've had since the foundation of the earth that Jesus was going to be the Lamb that was slain. And in the mind of God, when Jesus got up from the grave, this is the thing, there was a great host of people when God saw it, all of humanity was resurrected in God's mind. Everybody. And you understand this? That it's everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. You know, I don't have time to teach you on it, and I'd like to say on more, but you understand over in Revelations, it talks about there being a book of life and it says those who accepted Jesus, that He'll not blot their name out of the book. Now to me, that kind of infers to me that in God's mind, salvation for all of mankind was settled. And all they have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. And they'll be saved. But if they don't, blot, 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 blot. And blot that name because they refuse to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. But you need to realize, if we will get a revelation... That, of what God did, that when He raised Jesus, that He was raising all of humanity. And this is the big picture. This is the big picture. It is now available for all humanity to be born again, to be filled with the Spirit, because Adam was a Spirit-filled man. You understand this? That when, let's just make this plain. You understand? Okay, they ate the fruit. God said, the day you eat the fruit, you'll die. When they ate the fruit, they didn't go, and fall over, did they? What happened? Holy Spirit left. And Adam just kept on kicking and, and doing his thing and, ho and hoeing the ground and picking some fruit and doing some stuff till he died a few hundred years later. And so you understand this, that the big picture of redemption, of what Jesus did, was to make man able to become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Way too much emphasis has been placed on being born again one time in the Bible. One time in the Bible, at 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus told one man privately, you must be born again. All the rest of the time when Jesus preached to the masses, he preached to repent. Change the way you think. Okay? It's not saying people don't get born again, but I think it's been so blown out of proportion one time when time after time after time after time after time when the Lord Jesus is preaching the gospel of the kingdom to people, he's preaching to the masses, repent. Repent. Change the way you think. And this is the thing, that when you repent, you do become born again, 
And the Bible says over in 2 Corinthians, was it chapter 5, that if any man's in Christ, he is a new creature. Amen? When God, you understand that when Jesus rose from the grave, that in the mind of God, God saw you in your, God saw you dead in your sins and trespasses. And when Jesus rose from the grave, God didn't just see Jesus. He saw all of humanity being raised. What Jesus Christ did, the exceeding greatness of God's power that He revealed to when He raised Christ from the dead, it was beyond the norm. Normal for God is, oh yeah, get up, little little widow woman of name, you know, little widow woman of name, your son, get up, Jairus's daughter, get up, Lazarus, come forth. That's normal. That's that, that's just normal stuff for God. Speak the world in existence. Okay, there it is. That's normal. Exceeding greatness of God was when Christ rose. All of humanity rose with him. Life was made available. And this is the thing. Like I said, big picture is placing is making it available to man to walk in the the authority that Jesus has delegated to us to see His will done on earth as it is in heaven. You have authority as a believer. And this is the thing. You need to understand this, is that Easter, what we call Easter, Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus got... You understand when Jesus said it's finished, that didn't mean that's as far as anybody has to go. I said this on Wednesday night. A couple. I can't remember if it was this last Wednesday or Wednesday night before last. You know, people used to say, you know, that some some denominations of, of believers they'll go as far as the cross. Oh, thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the cross, and thank God for the cross, because that's where the sacrifice was made that was needed to redeem mankind. You know, Brother Hagen used to say, "Let's get on past the cross, and let's and let's get on over to Pentecost." Because the cross is where the sacrifice was made. You know, some people, they go to the cross. Some believers, they'll go as far as the empty tomb. You know, there's some people that call themselves believers that don't even believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead. And the Bible says over in, was it, 2 Corinthians, if, Paul said, you know, if Christ be not raised from the dead, then you're still in your sins. And what's the use of you even pretending like you've got some faith? Okay? Some believers will go as far as the cross. Some will go as far as the empty tomb. Some will even go as far as Pentecost... But I submit to you, there's a place to go past that. Because you understand that you go into Pentecost, you go into the upper room, you getting, you know, you being born again, you being filled with the Holy Ghost. That it's like this. How much sense does it make if someone gets, uh, if someone enlists in the military? Okay, the moment they enlist, they're a soldier, right? Because you try to back out of it and see if the government don't come looking for their property. Right? You sign the papers, you enlist, you in the army now, or the Navy, or the Marines, whatever you went into. Okay? And you take them, and you put them through boot camp to teach them to, to think like a soldier and behave like a soldier. Okay? And after you do that, you get ready to deploy them into the battlefield, in the, whatever theater the battle is. You get ready to deploy that person, and you line them up at, the, at the, where they're issuing firearms and field equipment and stuff like that, and you say, here's your gun, here's your ammo, here's your, you know, your, your pack, here's your field pack, here's all the stuff you need. And they go, woo! And they just stand right there in the, in the, in the, where they pass out the equipment, the armory. They're staying right there. What effect is that soldier ever going to have on the battlefield? That seems pretty silly, don't it? Well, you understand this, that there's a place for us to move on beyond Pentecost. Because Pentecost was where the believers got filled with the Holy Ghost and they were equipped. Just like that soldier got equipped in the armory. 
And so I submit to you that there's some place for us to press on, and that is, what, and what is it? What did Jesus preach? Jesus did not preach. The gospel, the Bible does not say, some people, if we say this, you know, people will say Jesus preached the gospel. And, you ask, and I've said this before, you ask some believers, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the grave. Really? So Jesus, when he was alive, is there any instance in the Bible where Jesus, the Bible says Jesus preached, right? He preached. It says he preached. You can't find any place in the Bible where Jesus went out and he preached to the masses, I'm going to die on the cross. He told that to his disciples privately. And then Peter wanted to argue with him. Not so, Lord. You, know, you better know your place, boy. I'm the master. I'm, I'm the master. You're the disciple. You better know your place. And Jesus had to snap him back in line. No, what did Jesus preach? Jesus, go check it out. There's over 30 references to it in the New Testament. The kingdom of heaven. Jesus went and preached the kingdom of heaven. And you understand that we've taught on this and we're going to keep it before you. The kingdom of heaven, literally kingdom means government. The government of heaven. So you understand this, that all of it, the cross, where Jesus died, the empty tomb, it's the door to get you into the armory, so to speak, figuratively speaking. You get filled with the Holy Ghost, and it's God equipping you for the service that He's called you to. Okay? And then it's time to move on out the armory and go out and advance the kingdom of God. And you cannot do it. If you leave out any of the previous areas, you cannot do it effectively. You cannot, can't, I don't care. You say, oh, but pastor, I know people that are part of a non-spirit filter. I don't care. They're doing good, but they are not doing it as effectively. And they're not doing it the way God intended. I make no apologies for that. You are not, you cannot leave out the baptism of the Holy Spirit and tell me you're following God's plan. You cannot. Because the Bible shows you His plan. Not saying they're not good people. Not saying they're not getting people born again. Not saying that they're not doing good works in the earth. But this is the thing. Think about how much more they could do and how much more effectively they could do it if they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And you understand, you can't leave out any part of it. You can't skip the cross. You can't skip the empty tomb. You can't skip the upper room. You cannot do that and be doing things the way, doing it the way God wants it to be done. Amen? And so we just need to realize in the big picture, the kingdom... What Jesus did, it was, it was, the, what did Jesus say? He said, I'm the door. So this morning we're celebrating the resurrection, not just of Jesus. This is the day that we got up. 2,000 years ago. Amen? When, G, when Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave, it wasn't just the man Jesus getting up in God's mind. All of humanity got up. I'm going to read one more verse to you. Amen? Turn to Hebrews real quick. Hebrews chapter 2. You all understand, we are building on some stuff here, right? We are building, and there's a progressive revelation that's going on in what we're teaching. Amen? We're going to teach you this. Jesus did not come to establish a religion. Jesus did not come to make Christians. Jesus came to make sons of God. Amen? And you shouldn't have a problem with saying that because that's what the Word says about you. If you're born again, you are a son of God. You are not the son of God. You are not Jesus. You are not on the same level. You're in the same class, but you are not on the same level as Jesus, right? Let's just make that clear. Some, some uh, people have got off in error teaching that you are, uh, you're the same level as you. You ain't, you ain't jack to Jesus, y'all. As a matter of fact, you get out of Him and you ain't nothing. Okay, so we're talking about you're in the same class, not the same level. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 says, For it was fitting for him, for whom all things and by whom all things, 
and bringing many sons to glory. That's, G, that's talking about Jesus and you. It was fitting for Jesus, who was bringing sons to glory, to make the captain of, captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all one. In the eyes of God, this is reinforcing what I just told you. It says, for he who sanctifies, who is it that sanctifies us? Who is it that the Word says is our sanctification? Jesus has made, been made unto us wisdom and righteousness and, and wisdom and sanctification. Jesus is the one who sanctifies us. So you understand, in the eyes of God, it's saying, for he who sanctifies and the one who is sanctified are all one. You understand, they used to, there's another song they used to sing in the church. It said, when he sees me, he sees the blood of the Lamb. They could sing it, but they sure didn't have a revelation of it. Because when you get a revelation of the fact, when God sees you, he sees the blood of the Lamb. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. Brother John Osteen had a vision one time that the Lord revealed to him that the devil was coming against him with something, and he was standing there, and he said that while he was standing there in this vision, the, the Lord Jesus appeared and just walked right up past him, and that walked actually, that John passed through him, and that standing in, in this vision, he's standing in Jesus. Amen? Is that the Word? Does the Word teach that? And so he got a, he, he, the Jesus, he's standing in Jesus. And so when the devil was looking at him, he saw Jesus. You understand? The only play, the only way that the devil can whoop you is if you're ignorant of it and you don't realize what it is. You understand this? That when, that he that sanctifies and the one that's sanctified are one. That when God the Father looks at you and you're in Christ, he sees Jesus. Amen? He sees Jesus. And that, that should excite you because it means your life goes from ho-hum, I'm just living from you know, paycheck to paycheck, you know, making a little living here, getting a little bit of things, and then when I die, I get to go to heaven. No, no, no. It transforms your life into adventure that the Son of God, the living Christ, the, the, you are in Him, and that He's called you to this earth for such a time as this. Amen? Understand this. I'm going to skip down verse 14. In so much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and release those, amen, he's talking about us, release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. What Jesus did when Jesus rose from the dead, he brought you out with Him. It was the day that you got up. And I hope that from this day forward, every Resurrection Sunday you celebrate and that we commemorate what Jesus did, that you're remembering it ain't just the day that Jesus got It was the day that I got up. Amen? And go ahead and read the rest of Ephesians because when God raised Jesus from the dead and He caused Him to be seated at His right hand, Amen? The Word says that we're seated with Christ because we're in Him. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. It was, a, it was an act of tremendous significance that Paul even that Paul prayed and should be our prayer today every day. God, give me a revelation. Give me a revelation of the exceeding magnitude of what you did for me when you raised Christ from the dead and what that means for me in my life, what I can do, what I can accomplish. Amen? Praise God. Aren't you glad that this was the day that you got up? Amen.